How many are ready to get back into Revelation? It's been a few weeks. It has been a few weeks. We've, it, it was uh, at Christmas, we kind of took a break. And the Christmas uh, time and the season, we took a break. But now we're back in it. Revelation chapter 14. We are beginning our journey towards the end of Revelation. We really are. We have covered quite a bit up until this point, and so I'm not going to rehash everything. But it's worth understanding where we are in relation to the time known as tribulation. We have seen so far the seal judgments. We've seen what are called the trumpet judgments, right? And through those judgments, two-thirds of all things have been destroyed. So we're talking about future events, what's going to happen later on. Two-thirds of all things have been destroyed, so roughly you would put us two-thirds of the way into the tribulation. That makes sense, right, Bobby? Makes sense, right? So when we left Revelation chapter 13, the outcome of history looks pretty grim. The outcome of history was the beast was in place. His mark was being implemented. God's people are in danger. So in chapter 13, the beast looks strong and mighty. But in chapter 14, you're going to discover that God is stronger and mightier. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is not a fight among equals. We have to remember that. A lot of times we think, well, it's, it's just two opposing forces. It's not. It's not a fight among equals. It is the king with an ant below his shoe. Amen? That's all it is. And so we look at that and we understand that God is strong and immensely more powerful than the enemy. So... They are not two sides of the same coin. He may think, listen, the enemy may think he has a shot at overcoming the Lord, but that is simply impossible. So, starting in Revelation chapter 14, uh, we get a description of the 144,000. Now, we talked about this in a previous sermon, so there's no point in going over all of that again. I encourage you to listen to it. It's a good one. But there's no need to rehash all of that right now. So what we do is we're going to start in verse 6. In the beginning of the end to the system that the enemy has set up. And before we do that, let's pray. Lord, I pray over the message this morning. Lord, your Holy Spirit gave the Apostle John these words, this vision, this experience. Lord, he wrote them down, and now we have an opportunity to share them with those who are here, with those who are listening online. Lord, I pray that you would empower me for your service, that this is preached with accuracy and led by your Holy Spirit. Let these not be my words, but yours, as we always obey the leading of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 14, verse 6 through 8, says this, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him, say worship him, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea 
and the springs of water. Verse 8 says, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, we will get much more into what Babylon is and a lot more about Babylon in chapter 17. But for now, it's sufficient for us to say this. Babylon is the worldwide government that is set up by the enemy and the impetus or the push towards a one-world system giving worship to the Antichrist. That is what Babylon is. In other words, all this has been set up by the enemy and now it's about to be torn down. All has been set up by the enemy and now it's about to be torn down. So what follows is a warning and also the future of those who worship the beast. Remember, we talked about the beast. We talked about the mark of the beast. And now we hear a warning of those who worship the beast. Verse 9 says this. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength, listen, into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented. This is some grisly, grim pictures here. I said, well, kind of jokingly, we're going to talk about hellfire and brimstone right after the baby dedication. And in truth, that's what this chapter is about, hellfire and brimstone. It says this, He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Who worships the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. That's pretty rough stuff. It's a pretty rough picture. It's the full strength of the wrath of God being poured out. The full strength of the wrath of God being poured out. Torment with fire and brimstone, no rest day or night. It is a picture of what we call eternal suffering. It's a description of a literal hell. Those who reject the gift of grace will find themselves suffering in despair for eternity. Now, let me stop here and remind you of something important. God is good, amen? God is loving. God is kind. He's compassionate. He's merciful. And of course, he's good and he's only good all the time, right? We like to say that in the church. It is the essence of his character that God is good, that God is love, that God is kind, that he is compassionate. But let me remind you, in case you forgot, that God is also holy and he is just. Amen? God is holy and he is just. Evan Mitten wrote, if God does not punish people for their wicked deeds, then that means he is not righteous. It would mean that he's a corrupt judge. That he doesn't care whether people break laws or not. But God isn't a corrupt judge. He is just, and as such, he cannot let evil go unpunished. That is what hell is for. He 
hell is an eternal separation from God. That is what hell is for. Modern progressive Christianity doesn't want to talk about this. Modern Christianity would say, Pastor David, do not talk about hell. Don't talk about it. It's not a comfortable subject. It's not conducive to church growth. Pastor David, you're being kind of a downer when you talk about hell. That's really what people say. Listen, you better be careful. You better only preach the good stuff. Don't you preach the hell stuff. You only preach the good stuff. Because, listen, you, you talk too much about hell and we'll go somewhere else. You talk too, you talk too much about suffering and we're going to go somewhere else. Listen, I can't control where people go to church. I really can't. I can only be faithful to the Word of God and preach it to you with the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's what God has called me to do. I am committed to truth, and the truth is this. As much as we talk about heaven and grace and hope and patience and love, we talk very little about hell. We talk very, very little about it, but hell is real, hell is hot, many will suffer, many will be in agony, but the truth here is important. Hell was not created for you. Amen? Hell wasn't created for us or for you. Jesus said in Matthew 25 that it was prepared for the devil and for his angels. It wasn't created for you, but for those who align with him. They have tied themselves to his fate. They have tied themselves to his future. They will join him in eternity because sin demands payment always. Sin demands payment always. This is a tough message this morning. Who deserves hell? Everyone. The unrighteous. Who deserves hell? The unrighteous. Who was that? It's all of us before we came to Christ. It's all of us before we came to Christ. Under Old Testament law, the only way towards righteousness was through sacrifice. That still rings true today. Do you know that that still rings true today? We can be eternally thankful that the sacrifice was made for us at the cross. Amen? It was made for us at the cross. Dave Ogren, two weeks ago, preached a powerful message about this. Really a powerful message. Man, it was so good. So later today, we're going to take communion. We're going to commemorate what Jesus did on the cross. The description of eternal suffering that we see in Revelation 14 is not for the believer. It is not for the believer, it is for the unbeliever. It is for those who reject the gift of the Creator. Those who reject the sacrifice for their sin. The Apostle John writes these words under the direction of God, gives us a clear picture of what happens to those who reject the Master, who reject the King. And continuing on, listen to this. He also gives us a very clear picture of what happens to those who persevere, Steve. What happens to those who persevere? It says this in verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. 
Verse 13, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Lord, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Now the contrast here is undeniable. There is eternal torture for the wicked and eternal rest for the faithful. Amen? Torture, wicked, faithful, rest. Hallelujah. Amen. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Now, what comes next in what we call the tribulation timeline has been highly debated among theologians for a long, long time. Okay, we're not going to settle it today. I promise you that. But it's an interesting thing because what is happening here is undeniably clear. Verse 14 says this, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. Somebody say a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Say ripe. So he who sat on the cloud, say sat on the cloud, thrust his sickle in the earth, and the earth was reaped. That is Jesus, and that's a depiction of what we call the rapture. Amen? Verse 14, 15, 16 shows that. It's clearly a picture of it. Catching up of the harvest. The earth is reaped. The harvest is gained. All that can be saved are saved. The timeline of events is unclear, though. It would seem that this passage would lend itself to what's called a pre-wrath or a mid-tribulation view of the rapture. It nearly lends itself to what's called the post-tribulation view. Not quite, but close. Both those who were saved going into the tribulation and those who were saved during the tribulation. That would be post, right? Because it's unclear, we can't say for sure. And there's many reasons as to why it's unclear, but it seems like this is almost a separation from what's happening in the Scripture. It seems almost like this is another narrative, a short narrative about what happened in the reaping of the harvest. We can't say for sure when this is going to happen. What we can say for sure is that there will both be a harvest as well as a brutal, bloody reckoning. Say brutal and bloody. Verse 17. We're going to get into it. This is where it's going to get a little gross. Say a little gross. Children, cover your ears. Parents, cover your children's ears. No, you don't have to do that. Eli, cover your ears. No, all right. Verse 17. Then another angel, say another angel, came out of the temple which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud, with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. Verse 19, so the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Doesn't sound good. 
taking these grapes of wrath. If you've ever wondered where that term comes from, it's here. Verse 20, And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Say, how long is that? That's about 200 miles. The picture here is at 200 miles surrounding old Jerusalem. 200 miles surrounding Jerusalem. What we see here is a picture of what's called Armageddon. This is a picture of Armageddon. It's the battle that takes place in the Megiddo Valley in Israel. Now, I have been there. Some of you have been there. You've seen how long and flat and unending it is. You can't help but imagine while you're there what the coming and ending war will look like. I remember looking out among the vastness of the valley and imagining probably beyond my comprehension the devastation that will ensue. One commentary said this, the pictures of the grapes fully grown in prime are almost bursting with juice. The spurting of the grape juice from under the bare feet of those treading the grapes in the wine press compared to the spurting of blood and speaks of human carnage. As they are pressed within the wine press of God's wrath, the blood spurts, the carnage ensues. Of course, we know about the play, The Grapes of Wrath. But if it sounds familiar to you, it's because if all of this kind of sounds familiar, it's what's described in what is called the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vineyard where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has, loosed, he has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. You'll probably never look at the battle hymn of the Republic the same way again. It's describing the end of times. It's, descri it's describing this brutal, bloody catastrophe. Now again, we aren't sure where this lands in the tribulation timeline but there will be a reckoning, and we should be ready, right? I know this isn't all sunshine and rainbows this morning. We had sunshine and rainbows when we had the baby dedication, right, Bryce? Praise the Lord. Thanks for, for providing that. That'd be next time, yeah. Who's, who's next? Who's next to have a baby? Who's, who's, due the next, who's due next? I think Brittany's due. When are you due, Becky? Jenny? Is it Becky, then Jenny? Yeah? Danielle? Over here? Man, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a whole lot of membership here in about twenty years, Gary. Hallelujah. Listen, I know this isn't all sunshine and rainbows. This isn't all puppy dog tail stuff, right? But this is the reality of what's happening. The reality of what's happening is that it is going to be brutal, it is going to be bloody, and we should be ready. Hey, listen, the truth is, I'm hoping that I'm out of here. 
I hope by the time this all happens, I'm gone. Right? I'm looking down being like, wow, this is an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, right, Bobby. We're not, we're, I, think, I think all of heaven's going to be at attention. I really do. I think all of heaven is going to be ready for that coming of the one on the cloud who is ready to thrust in his sickle to reap the harvest. I think it is going to be a powerful example of Christ's might. Listen, he might have he died on a cross, but he's coming back in righteousness. Amen? I don't know if you're aware of this, but he's coming back with strength and might. He's coming with a tattoo down his legs that says the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He will not be denied. You don't worship a weak king this morning. You You worship a strong and mighty king. Remember, the end is written. Evil will not win. Listen, I don't know what's in store for us this next year. I don't know what's in store for us beyond this next year, but I do know it's only temporary. I do know it's only temporary. Christ is the ultimate victor. We are on the winning side. Listen, our hope is not placed in government. Our hope is placed in an eternal kingdom. Amen? The battle of Armageddon will happen. We have a description of it, but we aren't there yet. Amen? Come on, we're not there yet. It seems like, again, a separate picture from what John is writing about. We still have some judgments to go in chapter 16. But before that, I quickly want to go over chapter 15. And I'm going to do that next week. Next week, chapter 15, we're going to get into... Actually, chapter 15 is very quick. We're going to go over 15 very quickly and then go right into 16 next week. Listen, it's brutal stuff. It's bloody, brutal stuff. It's not pretty. It's very intriguing, but some very, very harsh stuff is coming down the line. Stay with me, listen, because very soon, very say very soon, we are going to get into the return of the king, and you're not going to want to miss it. Amen?